enjoy the most, that is if the water isn't too cold. And to me it sort of ranks right up there with seeing people accept Jesus as their Savior and weddings, families restored, dedicating children, well probably pretty well everything. I enjoy the work of the church, I enjoy the things that the church gets to be involved with, and I'm always blessed and pleased when we have the opportunity. But about once a year or so, we seem to have baptism. We have had it more often, but about once a year, we try and plan for it. And it's always nice to see people step forward and say, you know, I'm ready to make this commitment. This is something that I want to do. So I'm excited to be able to participate with the candidates for baptism today as they take this step. Now, whether I've known them since they were born or whether they started attending church more recently, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to administer this rite as we're going to be doing today. But before we move the service to the pond and perform the baptismal ceremony, I just want to take a few minutes to look at what this sacrament is and what it means to the individual person. So a good place to start finding out about baptism would be the very first time that is ever mentioned after the Holy Spirit was released to begin to found the Church of Jesus Christ on this earth. We find it in Acts chapter 2. And the background is that Peter has just preached a wonderful message. He has clearly outlined the sinfulness of man and his need for a Savior, the resurrected Jesus Christ. The audience has been brought to the place where they were pricked in their hearts and they knew that something had to be done. They knew that there was a response that was now going to be required from them. Now, Christianity at that time was a new teaching, so people really had no idea what the appropriate response was. So when they asked the apostles, Peter gave them two instructions. Repent and be baptized. Now that seems like a pretty short list compared to some of the lists that we manage to build in churches today. Repent and be baptized. Start following Christ. But really that sums up the Christian experience. It was given by one of the founding fathers of the church. So we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read 37 to 39. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So then Peter told them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Well, when I don't quite understand, you know, sometimes you're reading in some of the versions of the Bible, especially the King James, which is the one I like to study in, but some of the words are just a little different than what we use today. So when I want to get the meaning, I like to go back to the original language and see what it meant when it was spoken. Because words can change their meaning over time. Now, most of us have already experienced that. I think all of us have already experienced that if we're over 10. When I grew up, when you were cool, that meant there wasn't a lot of heat there. Now, all of a sudden, when somebody is cool, it's supposed to be a lot of heat there. (laughs) The meaning has changed. And, you know, there's different words like that that we look at. We go, okay, the meaning has changed. When, you know, something was smooth, it was like, okay, this is just, you just slide right along it. But now when somebody's being smooth, it's like it makes you want to stop and see what's going on here. The meanings change. So sometimes it's good to go back and say, what did this mean when this was spoken? What did Peter mean when he said, repent and be baptized? So I went to the Greek and I found out what the words meant. And the word repent was metneho. 
And it means to think differently. Reconsider. Change direction. So the word repent really means you stop going the way that you were going and you turn around. You change direction. You go in the other way now. The word repent doesn't mean anything about crying and weeping and carrying on. It means you turn around and you start going in a different way. And when Peter is speaking to these people, they say, what should we do? The first thing he says is turn around. Stop going the way you were going and start finding and going in a different direction. And then he says get baptized. And the Greek word for baptism is baptizo. And it means to make whelmed or that is to make fully wet. This is from the Strong's Concordance. In the New Testament, this word is used only in ceremonial ablution or Christian baptism. To be whelmed or to be made fully wet. Repent and be baptized. So Peter's instructions to those that had just heard about Christ were to repent or to turn away. Turn away from their lifestyles. Turn away from their sins. Turn away from the direction that they were going. Reconsider and start thinking differently about their lives. Now I believe in the churches today we need to get an emphasis back on repentance before we ever move up to baptism. Too often it seems we're so busy just trying to get people to come to church that we don't want them to repent and yet the word of Christ was repent and then be baptized. Stop thinking the way you were. Stop doing what you were doing. Stop acting like you were acting and start acting in a new way. Start moving in a different direction. Start doing something else. I believe the word repentance is one of the words we need to be preaching. Let go of what you've trusted in. Let go of the way it has been. There's two kingdoms in this world, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Now, the kingdom of this world, according to Jesus, it says you had it said that if you're going to be Lord over all, if you want to be great, then you've got to learn how to be Lord over everybody. But he says in his kingdom, it's exactly the opposite. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you learn how you can serve everybody. You learn how you can end up being a servant of all. So he says, stop thinking the way you were thinking. It's not about you. It's not about how big you can be. It's not about how important you can be. It's not about how. It's more about how many people you can end up helping and you can end up serving. Repent. Well, if we're not repentant, then there's really no sense in taking the next step. Like I said, repentance is not crying. It's not bawling. It's changing our way of thinking and letting it show so that others can see that something has changed. See, when we begin to think differently, we're going to start acting differently. When Paul was preached to King Agrippa, he mentioned that he was sent to preach repentance and to bring forth works, meet for repentance. But then once repentance has come, once we start seeing that there's a difference, when we start thinking about things in a different manner, we ought to move into baptism. After repentance, the instructions were to get fully wet. Peter also said if they would follow these instructions, they would experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he stressed that everyone needed to repent and be baptized, and that everyone, no matter how far removed from that time, could claim this very same promise of receiving the Holy Spirit. So that brings up a question which is often asked, and based on Mark 16, 16, where Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So we've had people come up and say, Well, do I have to be baptized to be saved? Well, first we need to believe, which leads to repentance. Then the Bible says we should get baptized, so the answer is both yes and no. 
I do not find any place in the scripture where the Bible teaches that we cannot go to heaven without baptism. I know there is people that said if you're not baptized, you can't get to heaven. And this has brought the whole concept of having infant baptism. You know, the minute they're born, you want to get them baptized to be able to go to heaven. Well, the water is water. The water has not changed just because somebody's gotten dunked under it right now or had it sprinkled on them. The first part was repent. The repentance was the important part, and that's why most of the evangelical churches have said, let's turn our head and wait for that time where a person can make up their mind on whether they want to repent. What's a good age for people to know if they've repented or not? Often it's taken to be in the early teen years. In the Jewish tradition, 12 years old, a young man became, or a young man became a young man and was now responsible to start making those decisions. Now, the Bible doesn't say it has to be 12, and we've had some people that were ready before 12, and we've had some people that were ready after 12. But when a person knows in their own heart that this is the time where they are now ready to change, when they know that they want to start moving in a different direction, when they know that they want to leave the way of thinking that they've been involved with behind, that is a good time to repent. If we had to be baptized before we could get to heaven, then the thief on the cross would never have had a chance. And yet Jesus spoke to him and said, This day I will see you in paradise. This day. I don't believe that the the crucifixion was stopped so they could baptize that fellow first. Let's take him down, baptize him, then hang up. We don't see that. And yet Jesus said, I'm going to see you. Repentance had come, though, when he said, Truly, Lord, remember me. That having been said, however, I do believe that baptism is of utmost importance in the life of a Christian. In fact, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Society a number of years ago published a report and said one of the greatest reasons that so many Christians were backsliding was they weren't being put into the waters of baptism right after they got born again. They says we have crusades and thousands will respond to the gospel, but then they're not put in baptism. says we need to be baptizing them the minute they're born again. They should accept Christ and they should go through the waters of baptism. It's important. There's a keeping power in baptism. There's a recognizing the power of what's been buried in baptism. See, when we get born again, when we repent and accept the salvation of Jesus Christ, when we recognize that the life we have been living is against what God desires, and when we are willing to turn from it, we receive a new nature in God. In Galatians, Paul mentions that we are crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, once we've been crucified, we died. And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Once we have been crucified, we have died. The old nature has been put to death, and now it needs to be disposed of. How do you dispose of a dead thing? You bury it. Our baptism is a prophetic act showing the burial of the old nature so that we can live in the newness of life without the entanglements of the old. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6 and starting in verse 3, it says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him, for that in he died, he died to sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise reckon you yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul states fairly clearly that when we are buried with Christ in baptism and that we rise in the newness of life to serve Christ. So is baptism necessary for salvation? Yes. The salvation referred to though is the salvation from this world. Paul said to be dead is to be free from sin, because dead men don't sin. Once we are born again and have buried the old nature, there are certain things we just don't do anymore. It's no longer a question. It's no longer having to decide. When my way of thinking has changed, there are things in my life that have been put away forever. Why? Because I've looked for a different way. I've decided to do things a different way. It's no longer all about me, but it is how can Christ be exalted? How can the name of Jesus be lifted up? We've talked about this before. When you have chosen to follow Jesus, then there are certain things you just don't even have to worry about anymore. Since I have become a Christian, I've never had to wake up in the morning and say, well, am I going to go out and have an affair today? No, I'm not doing that. How do I know that? Because that decision was made when I changed. I don't ever have to wonder whether it's a good day to go out and rob a bank. Why? That was the decision was dealt with. When I accepted Christ, I recognized at that point that that would not promote the kingdom of God. Should I go out and kill somebody? might have been a bit harder, but I've come up to the point that no, it won't be. <laughs> You don't do that anymore. Why don't you do that? Because I have just chosen to follow Christ. I have chosen, I have changed the way of thinking. Those are things that are not going to happen anymore. That decision has been made, and there is nothing anymore that I have to spend time worrying about it. In fact, I think sometimes the biggest problem is Christians spend too much time thinking about what it was like before they became Christians, and all of a sudden the very thing that they hated starts gaining appeals to them again. Well, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. No, my thinking has changed. I have repented. So when we have buried the old nature, there are certain things that we just don't do anymore. William Urey made the comment, he says, when you are angry, you will make the best speech that you will ever regret. Sin will always take us further than we want to go, and it will always keep us longer than we want to stay. But by not going out and fulfilling the lusts of the flesh nature, we no longer get involved in the drunkenness and the idolatry, the sexual immorality, or any other things. Having turned our back on the things we used to do will help us avoid the pitfalls and the traps that the enemy will use to try and ensnare us back again. 
This alone will help us to avoid a lot of the consequences that can destroy people. But this is salvation from the things of this world. Even though we live in a crooked and a perverse nation, a crooked and a perverse time, we have salvation because we have chosen to do things according to the word of God. Is baptism a public confession of faith? It is. But that is a side effect and it's not the primary purpose. When somebody dies, you may have heard that they have passed away. You may even believe that they are gone. But as long as they are behind closed doors, you really don't know. It is during the funeral process when the dead are taken out, brought to the cemetery, and buried that the public is exposed to the truth that this event has taken place. However, the whole process is not performed so that there will be a public profession of death. The process is set in place to bury a corpse. Baptism should have the same meaning. When the old is buried, obviously a profession of faith has been made. Faith in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and me in him. I want to look at another biblical example of baptism. It involves Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, verses 27 to 38. It says, He arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. The place in the scripture that he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaks the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. As they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered, he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Here was a new convert. A man that was reading or wrestling with the scriptures, but didn't know what they meant. So Philip explained to him what this Bible talked about, what the scriptures were speaking about. And he said, I want to be baptized. Now the eunuch was not required to know anything more than the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And he was ready to be baptized. Do you know that Jesus is the Son of God? You're ready to be baptized, according to the Bible. There was no classes. There was no special robes. There was no training, no rituals. Just the confession of Jesus as the Son of God. Now, his baptism took place immediately upon his confession. And we often seem to think that we have to reach some level of spirituality before we are ready to be baptized. We have to repent. 
The exact opposite is true. All we have to do is change our way of thinking and accept the life that Jesus offers us and be ready to bury the old ways of thinking and being and then spend the rest of our lives renewing our minds. Baptism does not mean that we will surely never sin again. It does mean that we have a specific day and a specific hour we can point to and remember that my old man has been buried there and then. When we find ourselves involved in things that we know we shouldn't be, we now have a point of reference that we can go back to and say, at that time, I buried this desire. It has no more hold over me. I am returning it to its rightful place as part of my previous life under the water. If we do find ourselves involved in sin, even after we've been baptized, we have an advocate, which is a lawyer with the Father, who is willing to plead our case. He testifies that he took our sin in his own body and that when we confess our sin, he is willing to forgive us and give us his righteousness again. But when we confess our sin, he asks us to forsake our sin. Leave it behind. We cannot expect forgiveness for a sin that we want to be actively involved in. We're going to have to let go of it. When we confess our sin, he forgives us and tells us there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. See, when God has forgiven you, it is forgiven. Too many people will beat themselves over the head for years later, saying, oh yeah, but I did this wrong, or I did that wrong, or I shouldn't have done this, or I shouldn't have done that, or, or I'm just not a very good person because of this. If God has forgiven you, how dare you call yourself anything less than forgiven? If God has cleansed you and restored you back to all righteousness, you are as righteous as you're ever going to get. It is usually other Christians that are going to want you to grovel for an hour now. Not God. God says you're forgiven. We take his word for it. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we recognize that we are also resurrected and have a conscience washed by the blood of Jesus that we can stand before a holy God without any sign of fear or guilt. I heard a minister a number of years ago, and he said he'd found out after he'd already started in the ministry what it meant to forgive or to be forgiven. And he had done something in his life that he wasn't proud of. And he'd asked God's forgiveness. And then he'd gone back the next day and says, You know, God, That just bothers me. I have to ask you to forgive me for that. And this had gone on for numerous days. And one day again, he came before God. He says, God, remember this. And God said, no, I don't. See, when God forgives, he forgets. He's not holding it so he can bring it back up again and say, oh, yeah, but this is what you did there. Remember what? That, in fact, is usually very anti-Christ. Christ gave his life so that your sins could be forgiven. He's not trying to bring them back to you. He's not trying to hold them before your face. He's saying, be free of those things and leave them. So we boldly approach his throne with no sense of guilt or shame, knowing God has forgiven and that's what counts. Now when an earthly father forgives his child... He does not want that child come crawling back to him daily, telling him what a sinful, unworthy child he is. 
but he wants that child restored to a proper place of sonship unless there is something wrong with the father. Now, our Heavenly Father does the same thing. He wasn't looking for servants. He was raising sons and daughters that would serve him out of love and not out of obligation. In fact, in Galatians, Paul writes, he says, Wherefore thou art no longer a servant, but a son. I believe one of the things that happens as we go through baptism, that becomes real. That weight gets removed. That sin gets buried and left. And we start recognizing that we have boldness to come boldly before the throne of God. The guilt is gone. We are sons of the living God. Children of the Almighty. Now, I know I've had people, they've said this to me many times. They say, well, I just want to be able to serve the Lord properly. Do it out of the heart of love. And you'll be doing it properly. As I said this morning, we get to celebrate baptism. We have two candidates that have come up and they said they'd like to be baptized. They felt that they were now ready to make the step. And I've talked to them. They have confessed their salvation. They have both expressed the desire to move ahead, to take this step. So I'm going to ask them to come up and just share a little bit of what this is meaning to them. I'm going to ask Mason to come first, seeing he asked first. (laughs) 